Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, Rick, it is December 24th, 2022, and I hope that you are ready for Christmas. We are getting closer to being ready. Uh, We've been all week long observing Christmas traditions, and it's definitely feeling like Christmas is here. We don't have much time left, but uh, we are definitely getting ready for Christmas. Well, we love this time of the year. This is a great time of the year where we remember Christmas, the reason for the season. This December, we have covered so much about the Feast of Dedication or the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah. As we know, we've talked about it, all of these things, and I'm so excited about Christmas because Christmas is filled with traditions that we started years ago when we were young. Yeah, that's right, Jimmy. We had our traditions specific to our family. We usually typically celebrated Christmas at midnight on Christmas morning, you know, which is different from some families. And then we always listen to a specific version of the Christmas story that we had. It's a a recording that we had that dad always played for us. But yes, that's certainly those traditions and the way that we were brought up on those traditions based in the reason for the season, but those traditions are definitely something that I cling to, and I know that I'm hoping that my family will cling to as well. Yes, yes, there's nothing wrong with traditions, Rick. As a matter of fact, on today's program, we're going to be talking about Christmas traditions, and here's one thing I've seen, Rick. I've noticed it over the years, and especially this year. I know as Christians, a lot of people had issues with tradition, the tradition of Christmas, the the tree, everything that goes along with it, which we all grew up with, But now I'm seeing that most of the world associates Christmas, the Christmas tree, the lights, events around Christmas as belonging to the birth or celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. I think it's something that's important that we need to talk about. As a matter of fact, on today's program, we're going to talk about traditions with our broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, bringing in some others. Uh, Speaking of of traditions around the world, Menno Kalashir, one of our good friends. And then, of course, uh, we're going to go to Daniel Pekoski. Daniel Pekoski, he's a missionary in Nixich, Montenegro, and he's going to talk about how they not only celebrate Christmas there in Montenegro, but how they use Christmas to reach those and to share the gospel to those in that part of the world. And that's so important. As we look at Christmas, we look at these traditions, and and I agree with you, Jimmy. Some people do try to push Christ out of Christmas, but uh, that's certainly not what we want. What we want to do is focus on that time, that most important event in all of history, the arrival of Christ to this world. And as a matter of fact, only 168 verses in the Bible, uh, four chapters, Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2 pertain to the most important event in history, the birth of Jesus Christ. So we're going to take a look at that today along with our Legacy Series, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, as he wraps up the Christmas story and his teaching as what we teach when we're in the fields, the shepherd's fields in Israel, outside of the city of Bethlehem. We'll be looking forward to all of that. Let's get started with our geopolitical issues taking place around the world. Let's get started with Ken Timmerman. Ken Timmerman joins us today. He is an author and an analyst. You can find out more about him by going to KenTimmerman.com. But he's our expert on geopolitical affairs, and he joins us on this Christmas Eve to talk about what's going on in the world. Ken, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Rick. It's uh, it's a blessing, and we will have family around us in just a couple of hours. 
It is certainly a wonderful time of the year, Ken. Well, let's get started. And the first thing I want to talk about is the big news story this week, and that is Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky coming to the U.S. Congress to address the Congress. Can you tell us about what happened when he came and why it's important? Well, uh, you would have to be living in a cave uh, to have not noticed (laughs) Zelensky's speech to a joint session of Congress on Wednesday. Uh, It was widely remarked. Uh, Some people were critical because, once again, he was banging his very large tin cup, asking for more money and painting those demands as uh, an obligation on our part here in the United States to support freedom around the world. It sounded an awful lot like a neocon speech and a neocon um, uh, agenda, if you wish. But uh, Zelensky does have a point uh, that the United States, uh, by supporting Ukraine, is defending the future of Europe. Uh, what kind of Europe are we going to be looking at in 10 or 15 years? Are we going to be looking at one that is constantly under threat of Russian domination or Russian invasion? Or are we going to look at a Europe which is free and secure behind its borders? That is, Those are the stakes in the Ukraine war. Uh, now, we had a similar situation during the Cold War. It's true. Uh, between the USSR and NATO countries. At that point, Ukraine was part of the USSR at that point, and Poland also was part of the the, uh, Warsaw Pact, so the border was really with uh, West Germany and East Germany, going through the Fulda Gap in the very heartland of Europe. A giant tank battle was what we feared then. Today, I don't think it's the same kind of fear. Uh, Ukraine seems very far away to most Americans, and uh, the, the the thought that Russia would actually move into Western Europe or NATO country Europe, I think, is far from most people's minds. Well, you're right. This was a very public display. And one person who noticed it, and I'm sure we would know that he noticed it, was Vladimir Putin. And he says that this is a sign that neither Ukraine nor the United States want peace. Well, uh, he also said, uh, accused the United States of fighting a proxy war. And guess what? That is factually correct. We are (laughs) fighting a proxy war against Russia. And Biden has virtually said as much. Uh, All of the Democrats in Congress have said as much. And many Republicans are saying that as well. Uh, Think a little bit, uh, if you wish, of the war in Vietnam, Rick. Uh, In Vietnam, the United States was directly engaged with the South Vietnamese government fighting North Vietnam and the Viet Cong. But who was behind North Vietnam and the Viet Cong? It was the Soviet Union. In Afghanistan, it was the reverse. Uh, Russia was fighting in on the ground in Afghanistan, uh, backing a, a, a you know, pseudo government, a government that they had installed. And we were supporting the Mujahideen. Now, when you're fighting a proxy war, there is an amount of plausible deniability Uh, in your weapon supplies. The U.S. uh, really uh, waited for years until, I believe it was 1986, to supply stingers to the Afghan Mujahideen because they did not want to give the Soviet Union the ability to say, hey, you are fighting a proxy war. You're fighting against us. Stop it. Here in Ukraine, uh, we don't seem to be as concerned with that plausible deniability. We have Congress openly authorizing the funds. These are not secret CIA funds as they were during the uh, Afghan war in the 80s. These are openly appropriated by Congress. And the real concern, I think, from Republicans, from some Republicans in Congress, is not so much the money that we're giving them, but the accountability. 
Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, is asking for an audit of the funds that are being uh, spent to defend Ukraine. And she's not wrong to do that. Of course, we should have an audit. We should know where the money is going. Uh, but uh, another thing I think important for our listeners to understand is that we're not just dumping money down a black hole. The overwhelming majority of the money being spent by Congress to buy weapons for Ukraine is going where? To Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, <laughs> Northrop Grumman, and U.S. defense contractors. So it is actually staying here in the United States, uh, creating jobs at those defense manufacturing plants uh, and helping to uh, keep our defense industrial base alive. Well, Ken, you touched on something there, and I would like to get you to kind of expound on that. But you know, we are in no way supporters of Vladimir Putin. He is a brutal dictator. He's an immoral man, and this war is not a just war in Ukraine. However, I am worried about the amount of aid that we are sending to Ukraine. Maybe what we've done so far has been okay, but what are we going to do in the future? That's what I'm a little concerned about. Well, Rick, before this war began, Ukraine was uh, at the very bottom of the list uh, of world countries in terms of corruption. Uh, they were, uh, you know, number one or number two most corrupt country in the world. So, no, we don't have those guarantees. And uh, Zelensky uh, cannot just tell us that everything is being spent correctly. Yes, we need an audit. Yes, we need to know where the money is going. But again, I just want to remind people the overwhelming majority of the money is going to buy U.S. weapons, and it's staying here in the United States. Well, Ken, we will certainly continue to keep our eyes on nations like Russia and Iran because they are important for us to monitor in this world. But let's move into a slightly different direction. And it's Christmas Eve, Ken, and there's you've had a wealth of experience, and we've talked about that, and we take advantage of that on this program when we talk to you. But is there any special Christmas stories that you remember in all your time out there in the field? Uh, Rick, I, I think I've said on this program in years past that I, I like to be home for Christmas because, you know, my wife and I were raising five children and it was important to be there with our family for Christmas. But there was one Christmas uh, back in 1996 when I was in the Persian Gulf. There was talk of war with Saddam Hussein at that point during the Clinton administration. And I had the opportunity to be on the USS George Washington to spend the night in the quarters beneath the flight deck and to listen to the thump of those aircraft taking off in the very, very early morning hours to launch bombing strikes over Iraq. I managed to get back to Kuwait and then from Kuwait to Paris, France, just on Christmas Eve, I believe it was, where my wife, Christina, and our children joined me. They flew over to Paris, and I, we spent uh, a Christmas in a rented apartment in Paris and then drove down to go skiing in the Alps. It was you know, from Kuwait to Paris and then down to the Alps. And again, all my family flying over from Washington, D.C. So it was quite a lot of miles that we logged in that Christmas. What a great story, Ken. And it is important to be home for Christmas. And we appreciate you taking time out from your home on this Christmas Eve weekend to be with us. We appreciate what you do to keep our listeners educated. Merry Christmas, Ken. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much, Rick. And, and God bless. And, and really for... Everyone in this Christ Christmas season, we have the greatest blessing of all, knowing we have a Savior who loves us. Thank you, Ken Timmerman. And I do love that tradition of being able to come home for the holidays. We're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, our Middle East News Update with David Dolan, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
I'm Liz Kramer with Mission Network News. World leaders meeting in Paris pledged over a billion dollars to help Ukrainians survive the winter. Fighting has devastated houses and infrastructure. Pastor Dima, a partner with the Slava Gospel Association, recently visited the Kherson region with food and warm blankets. Eric Mock says as they distribute aid through local churches, people are showing interest in the story of Jesus. So pray that many would be drawn to his love. And as you gather with family and friends for Christmas this year, think about Haiti. On Christmas Day, For Haiti with Love brings about 500 kids together for a party. Because of the poverty levels, most of the kids they invite wouldn't normally celebrate Christmas, so it doesn't interfere with family celebrations. For Haiti with Love feeds everyone. They also take the opportunity to talk about the birth of Jesus. Pray many of these kids will experience God's love through the celebration. And find your place in the story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio on this Christmas Eve edition of the program. Well, this is the segment of our program where we have our Middle East news update and Joining us, we have Dave Dolan. He was a journalist in Israel for over 30 years. Dave, thank you for being with us today. Glad to be, and happy holidays. Happy Christmas and Hanukkah. <laughs> Very much so. Well, David, we got a few news items to get to, but then I want to focus on the story of Christmas and really what it's kind of like to have Christmas in Israel. But first, let's talk politics. And the new government that has come into place with Benjamin Netanyahu is said to be a far-right government. And it's interesting to see how the rest of the world is going to handle this government, including our own country as well, President Biden, saying he is going to hold Benjamin Netanyahu personally responsible for the actions of his government. Yes, there was a real interesting article in Politico this week, Rick, about that, and it quoted unnamed, but some top White House sources as saying that, well, Bibi Netanyahu's saying he'll be the final voice, he'll be in charge, he'll set the tone. We're going to be watching that, and we're going to hold him accountable uh, to rein in the what as many of them would see as the extremist, more right-wing religious elements in the new government, and particularly Ben Gavir, the new police minister, and um, the new finance minister, Smoltrich. So, um, you know, they're basically saying there could be a little battle here. We're going to be monitoring things very, very closely. Of course, uh, I pointed out before that Netanyahu knows Joe Biden very well, has known him for decades since he was a senator. Biden, of course, not Netanyahu, but uh, being from the States. Ron Dermer, 
was the uh, ambassador to the United States from 2013 to 2021. Uh, so he knows Biden. And of course, Obama was president the first part of that. But he knows Biden very, very well and others that are in there. And one point of friction, in fact, it was the largest point of friction in those earlier years between Obama and the Obama-Biden administration and Netanyahu, was the Iran deal, the nuclear deal that was passed in 2015. Of course, Netanyahu went before Congress, strongly opposed it. He went before the UN and strongly opposed it. That made Obama very, very angry and presumably Biden too. Well, Biden admitted early last month in a taped uh, comment that hasn't been um, reported on much, but he was asked, is the Iran deal dead? And he said, basically, yes, it's dead, but we're not going to announce that. We're going to keep trying to resurrect it. But it looks like that issue, at least, is off the table for the time being. And there'll be more focus on Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, the settlements, the Temple Mount, those sorts of things. Well, we closely watch the Temple Mount here on this program. And as we are looking at the Temple Mount, both sides, the supposed right wing, feel like Israel has a right to have a presence on the Temple Mount. And of course, Hamas and Fatah, the Palestinian factions in Israel, and really basically the whole Muslim world is using this as a rallying cry. I think this is where the battleground is going to be with this new administration, which fits right in prophetically. But what do you think about this scenario? Well, again, there's nothing that ignites the Muslim world in general than the Temple Mount issue. And that was the a concrete evidence in their minds, and the Quran basically uh, echoes this, and uh, later the Hadith, the oral tradition of Islam even more so, that Allah is God, not uh, the God of Israel, and he gave us the holiest site on earth for the Jewish people and the Christian people. Well, they don't recognize uh, Judaism's actual history there, uh, for the most part. I mean, Muslim scholars do generally, but certainly Hamas and Islamic Jihad and those groups don't. By the way, uh, Rick, another group of uh, Israeli coins, ancient Jewish coins, were found uh, at the base of the Temple Mount in recent days, just again uh, proving that the Jews were there in ancient times, Hebrew was spoken, mm-hmm. and there was Hebrew government there and all of that. But yes, there's nothing that gets everybody going, and this being the a month of the 35th anniversary of Hamas's founding. They've been giving speeches pretty much every day against Israel, calling the new government fascist and oppressive Zionist regime and this sort of thing. And again, repeating that they will do everything they can to, quote, defend uh, Al-Aqsa from these uh, Jewish plots and plans. Well, it is true that Ben Gavir, the new police minister, advocates Jewish prayers we've talked about before on the Temple Mount. He's been up there a number of times. And they're basically setting the stage for when he goes up there as a minister to possibly respond the way they did when Ariel Sharon went up there in uh, the year 2000 that started the second uprising. And continuing violence this week, Rick, I won't go into all that, but we've had more arrests, more shootings, more things going on. So it's very tense. And the new government will give them a greater excuse to stir up trouble. There's no question. Well, David, we'll move away from the political, and let's look at the Christmas aspect. And you were in Israel for over 30 years, and you had many experiences. 
I'm, I'm sure it's unique living in Israel and being so close, and you were in Jerusalem, being so close to Bethlehem. you have any interesting stories from your time in Israel uh, when it comes to, to Christmas? Uh, quite a few, Rick. Uh, I've lived in Israel 33 years, and I was there for most of the Christmases. Well, we had a tussle with a nun over a Christmas tree uh, one time, a friend and I. <laughs> Um, the government of Israel, every year, you probably know this, the Jewish National Fund goes out and cuts, thins out trees in different sections of the forest, and Israel's planted over 250 million trees in its 70-plus years, uh, reforested the hills, as you know very well, and they go and thin those out, and they offer them for free to the Christian community in Israel. The municipality of Jerusalem uh, hands them out outside of Jaffa Gate, but in uh, earlier years, you had to drive outside of the city to get it, and uh, there was a friend and I uh, with his car, and we had to dig through a pile of trees. We found one that we liked. We took it over and sat it down right next to the car, and I went around and opened the door, and he came behind me to get rope to tie it on the roof, and while we were just a seconds away from it, uh, a nun came up, a Catholic nun came up and picked it up and started trudging off with it. Well, my friend ran around and grabbed the back of it, and she was pulling forward. He was pulling pulling backwards, and I was standing there laughing. Uh, it was a, an amazing scene, but uh, it was always a joy to be there. And especially, Rick, those uh, few years where Hanukkah coincided with Christmas, which, of course, mm -hmm. is happening this year, mm -hmm. and that isn't normally the case. They're always around the same time, but not usually at the same time. But I was usually working in Jerusalem and uh, for CBS for many years, for Moody Radio and others, so it was always warm. Even though I was working, it was one of my favorite things to be doing. Uh, not terror, not war, not strife, not politics, but uh, that the Messiah has come, born in Bethlehem, and is mm. coming again. Well, David, we talk a lot about politics, and we talk a lot about future prophecy, but the Christmas message is a peculiar and unique message of hope. If you don't mind, could you just tell our listeners what you feel that message of hope is? Well, Rick, in my 60-plus years on this planet, we've never been in a more tenuous time, a more dramatic time. Uh, Putin speaking again this week about using nuclear weapons, a raging war in Europe, the worst since World War II, uh, trouble in China, the, the COVID virus, all these things. It's been pretty difficult, pretty depressing. The economy's bad. All of these things happening. But of course, the scriptures told us, the Lord himself told us that the situation would get more and more dire on earth in the very last days before he returns. It would be as dark as it's ever been. That's why we call it a period of great tribulation. There would be massive upheaval, and of course, Revelation reveals that it would end with um, basically the destruction of the earth, but with the Lord's returning, and eventually the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. That's a bit later, but there is hope. We are in a hopeless world, but there is hope. And these three years of COVID, I've drawn much closer to the Lord. I think many people have. We had more time to do that, to pray and to just, you know, not traveling so much, not so busy. And is all I can say is anybody listening that doesn't have that hope in them, that hasn't given their life to the Lord, please do it. It's rich. It's wonderful. It's true. 
the scriptures prove it, uh, the archaeology proves it, etc. There is a God. He is uh, came in the form of a baby, uh, Yeshua, Jesus, and he's coming again as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's going to be with us forever, and we're going to be with him, and that is the hope. It certainly is, David, an excellent admonition as well. As we remember the reason for the season, as we remember why we celebrate Christmas, the most important event in all of history, Christ coming down to earth. Well, thank you so much for being with us on this Christmas Eve edition of Prophecy Today Radio. David, Merry Christmas, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Merry Christmas, Rick. God bless. Well, we're going to take a break right now on this Christmas Eve edition of Prophecy Today. But when we come back, we're going to have Christmas around the world. We're going to talk to a few of our ministry partners in different locations around the world, find out how they celebrate Christmas and how their ministry uses Christmas to share the gospel. All that is right ahead. Stay tuned right here on Prophecy Today Radio. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. That was a great interview with David Dolan. And I remember when I was 24 years old, one of the most impactful memories that I have that I've carried with me my whole life was being in Bethlehem at the Church of the Nativity, reporting on it back to the United States. And this was before the time of the Internet, uh, cable TV. I had to go and record it, or I called in, and we recorded it from one of our friends there in Bethlehem, Bethlehem Bible College. And uh, it's just something that has stuck with me all these years, an impactful moment and time being there in the Church of Nativity. But we would later on teach at the Shepherd's Field, teaching some of the things that we had learned while working there in the land, teaching about the memories of the traditional plane of the dramatization of the account of the Christmas story, which later became a DVD with uh, Radio Bible Class, Day of Discovery, and many people have, have watched it over the years, Migdal Adar. But what are your earliest memories of traditions that you still carry on today? Well, I definitely remember that series, Jimmy. It was records, vinyl records. <laughs> yeah, dad, our dad used to play for us, and it was a kind of a dramatization of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we, the shepherd boys and Herod and the, the kings, it, it was definitely something I remember. Now, as a child, 
I would think, boy, this is going on so long. It's taking forever. (laughs) I want to get to opening the presents. But, of course, we always listen to that dramatization. And then Dad would read the the passage from Luke. And, you know, we focused on that. As a child, you're so excited about Christmas. And you're so excited about the presents. But, you know, as you continue on, I'm doing the same for my kids. Of course, I'm watching an animated version of that same thing we don't have that vinyl record doesn't work anymore we don't have a player in our house for it but we do watch an animated version of the birth of jesus christ and the whole thing is about traditionally focusing on the birth of jesus christ and then letting our kids be excited for the moment and realizing what christmas is all about well, that's exactly why we are talking about traditions today, because I think traditions are important to helping us later on in life, in our families, uh, going to church, the tradition of singing and reading the Bible, memorizing verses, and at Christmas time, retelling the story of Christ's birth. I remember that LP, that uh, record, that vinyl that we would listen to, but I remember the actors acting it out, and I would close my eyes And uh, I would think about being in those fields and the little shepherd boy as he gave his staff to the little baby Jesus and had to lean on the the staff of one of those other shepherds, which we found out those were priestly shepherds. Well, one of the men that had an impact on our lives and the life with my father, they both impacted one another, is Minnow Kalashir. Minnow, a pastor in Jerusalem, he's on the program today with us. Menno Kalashir joins us today. He is a Friends of Israel missionary. He is a pastor in the city of Jerusalem, and he is a longtime friend of the families. Menno, thank you for joining us on this Christmas around the world as we look at different spots. Can you tell me where are you right now and what are you doing? I hope you will believe me. I'm in the middle of a youth camp, Hanukkah Christmas youth camp, in front of the mountains of Moab just in front of the Dead Sea, mm. a mile from us, even less, about half a mile from us, is the caves of Qumran, where the scriptures were found in 1947. So what can be better than that? So you wonder, what am I doing in a youth camp? Now listen, I came in a stage in my life, I'm 60 years old, and all the life is raising up new leadership in the church. And my son is one of the deacons. He came to my office and said, Dad, I need help with the youth camp. I said, of course, I'll help. He said, Dad, I need a cook and a driver. And that's exactly what I am right now. So Uh, after this, I'm running to turn on the generator that will have light and electricity in the desert and start to cook dinner. Well, what a great story, Menno. Great to hear you out there ministering. Great to hear. I know John said, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. So I'm sure you're so proud of young Daniel, and I'm glad he's out there. And he's obviously got a great cook, so that's wonderful that you're doing that. Well, we are calling to talk to different missionaries, locations around the world where we have ministered as we look at Christmas and how it's celebrated there. And so I guess two things, Menno. I know that over 30 years ago, my dad and yourself and a few other men started a church there in Jerusalem that seems to be really going strong. We'd love to hear an update about that. And then if you could, just talk a little bit about how you celebrate Christmas in Jerusalem. Well, first, I'm sure that your father would really jump out of his seat now in heaven 
mm-hmm. uh, know that a year ago we started a new church. There is a fruit to raising up new leadership, and one of them, TB, is now leading the new church that we planted in Mevaseret Sion, outside Jerusalem. A group of 50 people from our church who anyway came from the west toward Jerusalem are there in that church, and we are praising God for that. We purchased a new place for them. We still give the salary to TB until they will say, we don't need it anymore. We are debt-free through the corona, through the COVID. Mm. God really shined his face upon us. Uh, I'm, I'm really shivering when I say that what God has done for us. It's humbling. So we are so happy. We continue to raise up new leadership. And I said, a few new deacons, and all of them have the potential in the near future to be elders. All of them are preaching in the church. It's simply a joy. I'm teaching right now about 25% of the Saturdays of the services. They are doing the rest. And I'm sitting in the front and give feedback, directions. God is good all the time. We are humbled by what God is doing. So that's concerning the church. We're really thanking God for what he has done. Concerning Christmas, Hanukkah, how do we celebrate it? Well, this year it basically comes on the same day. So in the church, this coming Saturday on the 24th, the church service will be dedicated, of course, to this. So what do we do? <clears throat> Sorry, we teach about Messianic prophecies, and I'll do a special le- lesson, and after that we do a potluck. So all day we'll be in the church, literally, God's day. And what am I going to teach? Listen, we are going to teach why Jesus entered into the temple in John chapter 10, in the Feast of Hanukkah. Why would Jesus legitimate something like that? This Hanukkah. Is there any Hanukkah in the plan of God in being Christian? Well, the issue is as follows. What is Hanukkah originally? In the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, the years 171 to 165 B.C., we know that the Maccabees, the Hasmonaeans, during that time, the Jews, overcame the Greeks. And they took back the temple, cleaned the temple, purified the temple for the service of God, and they finished to do that on the 25th of December, 25th of Kislev, similar to 25th of, Kislev, of December. And that was two months after the Feast of Tabernacles. So in the book, First and Second Maccabees, which are historical books, very important one, it said that they celebrated this Hanukkah, Feast of Dedication, for eight days because they could not celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle. That's why it is eight days, not because a miracle of oil or whatever. God can do miracles, everyone knows. But that is not the issue. That is what is written. So basically, Hanukkah, is second tabernacle because the first one was not celebrated well. In the same way, Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, enters to the temple in the Feast of Tabernacle, the, the last day of the feast, and tells the people, anyone will come to me, streams of living water will come out of him. And people basically kicked him out. In chapter 8, he tells them, I'm the light of the world. Abraham have seen my day. And they told me, I mean, who are you? 
in chapter 9, he healed a blind person. He gave light. And now in chapter 10, he enters into the temple, basically telling them, you didn't believe my words, now you see my deeds. Now you have an opportunity to truly celebrate tabernacle in the right way. I give you a second chance. Will you take it? They did not. Therefore, we have seen the exile and we have seen all the nightmares of the last 2,000 years. And my question to the church and to everyone who hears it, please do not reject Jesus. God's grace gives us so many opportunities, but even God sometimes puts a limit. Enough is enough. Will you call him today? Will it be a Christmas where Jesus is scribed on your heart? Don't delay it for next year. Tomorrow is not yours. Amen to that. What an excellent preview of your Christmas message that you're going to do there in Jerusalem this coming Shabbat, tying Hanukkah in as we look at Hanukkah and what that means and represents to the Jewish people, but also Christmas as well. And of course, the most important event in all of history, the arrival and eventual death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, Menno, thank you so much for being on the program today. We appreciate the ministry there. We count you your wife and not all of your family. They are extended family from the DeYoung family. I speak for Jimmy and my mom and my late father, Dr. DeYoung, as well. We love your family and we love what you're doing there. Couldn't be prouder of what the Lord is doing there through you. Shalom there in Israel, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. A big hug from Israel. Men, oh, you're something else. A big hug from Israel. We'll give a big hug to your whole family and to the church there in Israel. And I remember back in the day when Minnow and I used to go up to the Sea of Galilee, to the YMCA, stay there with the youth of the church. Uh, Minnow would teach. And I would corral all the youth, but I watched him teach and his serving spirit as he gave to the people of the church. What a great time to be there. I'm so happy. And folks, that was unique. Minnow, right there on the Dead Sea, right there with the, the mountains of Moab across the Dead Sea. He's there at a real close to Qumran and Gedi, that area where David, uh, where they'll probably go hiking. And uh, what a neat treat to be there, Rick. It was so great to see Minnow. It certainly was, Jimmy, and so many great memories of the church in Jerusalem and Menno and his family. It's like our extended family, isn't it? It sure was, Rick. Remember to pray for the church in Jerusalem and uh, pray for them as they are evangelizing in and around Jerusalem and now spreading out to the whole country. Well, we have another friend that uh, we love to talk to. He's a great missionary friend. I was uh, with my family this last summer with him in Montenegro. Well, Jimmy, I've got on the phone right now a good friend of both yours and mine, uh, Daniel Petkovsky. He's a missionary in Nixic, Montenegro. Daniel, thank you for joining us today. Rick, thank you for a call, and it's always a pleasure to talk with you guys. Now, Daniel, I know that you are originally born in Serbia, but you are now a missionary in Montenegro. How did that happen? Uh, yes, uh, it happened a long time ago uh, during the, my during my studies. I was involved in a Christian uh, student group, and we were going to Montenegro because we heard uh, back in those days, in 2008, uh, we heard that there are only three evangelical churches in Montenegro, and I just couldn't believe. There was like at least five or six churches in my hometown. <laughs> so when I heard that there is three churches in a whole country, 
uh, I was like, hey, can I join on this uh, short mission trip? And then God had a plan for me. Then I found my wife <laughs> here <laughs> and then I stayed. <laughs> uh, it's amazing how that works. And you do have a wonderful wife and a wonderful family as well. Three young girls. Well, I know that, as you said in your uh, intro there, that the, the need in Montenegro is great. There is not a large Christian presence. Now, there is a large religious presence, Eastern Orthodox or Orthodox, very much a religion, but not a relationship. And what we're doing is we're kind of talking to a few different missionaries that we work with. And how are you using Christmas there in Montenegro right now to talk more about a relationship with Jesus Christ and point people towards Jesus Christ? Yes, but uh, correct. As you said, there's a, a big religious presence. So I'm trying to look at uh, rather on a positive side. Uh, at least religion or Christianity has some authority generally. So I try to uh, connect with people on a common ground. People do celebrate Christmas. Now, they don't know often what it's all about. Uh, they, there is a lot of different uh, national traditions, what we do. And it's often Christmas is related with national identity, not really with the relationship with Christ. But I try to use like uh, uh, Christmas to point them to a real Orthodox way of why do we celebrate uh, uh, Christmas. Uh, so I'm usually trying, I'm usually using terminology like Orthodox Christianity in the real meaning of, the, of, of that word. What does, what does it make somebody being a Christian? And it's actually a relationship with Christ. I'm pointing people to the Bible, point them to uh, look at the scripture, see who Jesus is, why he was born, what, what was his mission, and what was he trying to fulfill uh, on this planet Earth. So uh, in everyday conversation, in visiting with people, Christmas is a time uh, when people invite you to their homes and you're going for lunches or dinners. I usually try to uh, use this opportunity to speak with people about uh, Christmas and about Jesus. I think that's excellent advice as well, because like you said, many people do celebrate the season. They celebrate the traditions. Uh, this is a chance that you could uh, explain to them why we celebrate and why that most important event of Christ coming to this earth to die for our sins, why we celebrate that at this time of Christmas. Well, if you could just tell me a little bit, maybe a flavor of what it's like uh, Christmas in Montenegro. Is it, you know, you know you're from Serbia, but you've, you've been in Montenegro for quite some time now. Any traditions, anything special that you do there necessarily? Uh, well, uh, we do have our own Christmas tree and we do celebrate Christmas by the Orthodox, uh, Eastern Orthodox tradition. People celebrate Christmas on uh, 7th of January uh, before uh, the calendar changed. Uh, hmm. So people do celebrate on, the, on those days and usually they would cut the tree from the forest uh, now, there is a lot of also like pagan uh, superstitious uh, tradition involved in that. And people sometimes think Christmas is all about that, like bringing this special oak tree in your house, um, uh, throwing around the, your house uh, some uh, seeds that year will be fruitful and things like that. So there's a lot of, you know, I usually like to point people like, do we find this in the Bible? Or do we find mm -hmm. Jesus in the Bible, you know? So often people think that Christmas is about that Christmas tree or, or different traditions or a meal that we prepare that day. But I try to connect them to Jesus and saying, no, you know, he was born to uh, fulfill the mission, 
to die for us, to reconcile us with Father so we can have a real relationship with him, that we don't need anybody, uh, any mediator between us and God, that he, he is the only one. So usually uh, that's basically what we're using this season, where we're trying to connect with people and we're trying to use Christmas as a common ground and speak with people. And what does it what does it Christmas means for them? We, we, we sometimes go on the street and interview people and have conversations with them. What does what does a Christmas mean for you? And you will, we would get a lot of different answers and we're trying to uh, invite them uh, whether to read the Bible together with us or to look in the Bible for themselves because some people might feel like we, you know, they're threatened that we're trying to convert them into some other religion, which we are really trying to to show them resurrected Christ, the living Jesus, uh, that they can have relationship with him. Well, Jimmy, you and I both count Daniel as really a strong friend in the ministry. We've both been over there in Montenegro many times working with the youth there and working with the church there in Nixic, Montenegro, one of the larger cities in Montenegro. And really, folks, this is, country is six, seven, eight hundred thousand people and only three really uh, Bible-believing evangelical churches. So uh, the mission field is great there. Daniel, how can our listeners pray for you there in Montenegro? Well, pray for us that we, you know, will stay encouraged. Sometimes can feel a little bit discouraged when there's not many believers in the country. Also, uh, it means for us when we know that we are part of a big family in the world, people who really long for uh, honest uh, and real relationship with uh, with Jesus. Pray for us that there is a persecution in the sense that, not physical, but people think that we are cult or a sect because we don't prioritize some of the national traditions that people not necessarily having connections with the Bible. So, uh, pray, pray for us, you know, we, we have cases where people have been unfriendly to us and, and saying like, okay, I don't want you to do anything with me or to have anything with my family and things like that. They, they would consider us as a, some kind of a threat. So we're trying to be friendly. So thank you for, for, for those kind of prayers. It, it would uh, mean a lot for us. And pray for uh, more uh, believers. It, it is our joy when we see somebody giving his life to Christ. I don't need to see people being or miracles or people being resurrected when i see somebody who never seen mm. who jesus is and suddenly i see their life being transformed by his words by him uh, directly you know living in his heart or hers uh, that's the biggest miracle for me and uh, i get to see that i've seen that uh, many times and but i i we want more and i completely understand the word uh, words when jesus is saying that there's a big a celebration at the heavens when somebody gives his life to God. So pray for us uh, for all this, for this matters. And uh, every encouragement means a lot to us. Amen. Excellent answer. Well, Daniel, we appreciate what you're doing there in Montenegro. Folks, if you go to our website, prophecytoday.com, we will link to the work that they have there. And if you would like to contribute or be a part of their ministry there, you can find a way to do that. Well, Daniel, Merry Christmas to you and your family and the church there in Montenegro. Look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you guys, and God bless you. Well, we do love talking to our friends around the world and Daniel in Montenegro. I remember when we were there this last summer speaking with him about what's taking place, his ministry um, to the people of Montenegro, where there's only 
a point zero 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 three percent of the people are believers, and he's got a big task ahead of him. Well, we're speaking about traditions today, and I uh, wanted to get with my good friend, R.C. Merle. R.C., welcome to the program again. Thank you, Jimmy, for having me back on a Christmas broadcast. Yes, a special broadcast, and it's great to be with you. We're not going to catch up today on the digital banking system or the C- CBDCs. CBDCs, that's right, Central Banking Digital <laughs> Currency. But uh, we'll catch up on that soon enough because there are some important things to talk about. But what I did want to talk to you about today, R.C., are traditions, Christmas traditions that we do as believers and uh, tell me some things about your christmas traditions yeah jimmy when our sons were young uh, our cuban italian christmas family tradition was a big table with at least 14 maybe oh. 20 people celebrating christmas eve or as the cubans call it noche buena spanish for good night mm. uh, before dinner we would ask the children to recite bible verses about the birth of jesus and then we would have wonderful traditional Cuban dishes. And every few years, we'd switch and have an Italian Christmas Eve with plenty of pasta, <laughs> sausage, chicken, and meatballs. You know, Jimmy, over the year, we mm. lost our grandparents. Two of our sons got transferred in their jobs. The family got split apart. So each year now, my wife and I travel as often as we can to share the birth of the Savior with one of them. And you know, Jimmy, we started a tradition on our blog in 2011 that continues today. And some of it, a lot of it has to do with your dad. In 2011, my wife and I attended the pre-trib rapture conference in Dallas. And that was the first time I met your dad and your mom. At that conference, we heard the story of Migdaliter, the place of the birth of the Christ child. And from then on, my wife posted every Christmas Eve, often with a video of your dad telling the story. So what amazes us that Mig the Leader, the Tower of the Flock, is our most viewed post throughout the whole year. In fact, readers will use our search engine beginning a few months before Christmas to read the biblical account. You know, on Christmas Day, I like to post the Magi Leaf for Bethlehem, which is a story I share with friends and families throughout the whole year. Sometimes, Jimmy, I like to ask them a question. Why do you suppose the wise men brought myrrh, which is embalming fluid, to the birth of Jesus? Typically, I get a blank stare, and they, and they say, gee, I really don't know. <laughs> and then, uh, Jimmy, uh, it's a great opening to share the Christmas story based on Daniel 2, where the wise men make their first appearance in Scripture. Well, R.C., tell us, why did they bring myrrh? Okay. In Dan- I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> in Daniel 2. In Daniel 2, we find the wise men, stargazers under the threat of death mm. for not being able to know and interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So Daniel asked the king's steward to petition the king for time to pray to God to know the dream and its interpretation. Mm-hmm. So when Daniel got, when Daniel did so, the king praised him with great wealth. And in Daniel 2.48, the king gave Daniel charge over those wise men. And I want to read the verse. Uh, it says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts. There comes the gold and possibly spices. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief uh, administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And so, Jimmy, these wise men, or stargazers, became Daniel's grateful students. And when the angel gave Daniel the 70 weeks or 490-year prophecies in Daniel chapter 9, 24 to 27, that foretold the exact time of Messiah's first advent and his death, tradition holds that Daniel shared the prophecy with his students, 
and left the gold and spices for them to bring to the birth that would happen 500 years later. Knowing Messiah would be cut off or killed is the reason for the myrrh. So I'd like to just go over those that those again, if, if that's okay. Daniel yeah. 9, 24, 27 gives us some of the most spectacular prophecies in Scripture. Mm. So here they are, a future event beginning the precise number of years for the first advent of Jesus. It gives us the exact year of his death, the future destruction of Jerusalem, the origin of a future world dictator at the end of the age, a future peace treaty with Israel and her neighbors, a future third temple and the second abomination of desolation, and finally the anointing of the most holy, the most holy, uh, beginning the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, both these prophecies, both of these posts will be on our website uh, on Christmas Eve and then following Christmas morning. And that website is prophecytracker.org. R.C., you and your wife and your family, little Emma, that we've been continually praying for please have a merry christmas and we'll talk to you at the beginning of next year thank you jimmy and please send our christmas greetings to your whole the whole the young family well we're gonna have to take a break and when we come back the legacy series with dr jimmy DeYoung. you know all this month we've been playing the series it's all about the timing the place those do matter in scripture a lot of times people say well it just doesn't matter but it does matter and i think you're finding that out today and a part of that is when we talk about traditions when we talk about these events that are taking place in God's Word. Well, we'll take a break, and when we come back, the Legacy Series, and then Rick and I will wrap it all up at the end, talking more, a little bit more, about traditions, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, this is a very important time of the year for ministries. You know, it it really doesn't matter because we're going to continue to do this program. We feel like this is what God has called us to do, to edify and educate the body of Christ. But there are ways that others can help ministries, and there's a way that you can help our ministry. That's right, Jimmy. We are committed to sharing the good news of God's prophetic word, and we appreciate the prayers and support of those faithful listeners of our program, and that's how we continue to do this program year after year. If you would, and if you would prayerfully support our ministry, you can go to prophecytoday.com. There you can find out how you can mail your donation in, or if you would like to, you could even donate online. That's the easiest way to donate, Jimmy. And you can do that, Jimmy, by going to prophecytoday.com. This week, we're going to be looking at the birth of Jesus Christ and the actual location on earth where it was to take place. That's Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and in the structure where Jesus Christ would be born. In fact, it was to be a sign unto those shepherds in the shepherds' fields, watching over those lambs destined to be sacrificed at the temple. What's so exciting to me about this week's study is that all the details, all the facts pertaining to the Christmas story, the first coming in Jesus Christ, were fulfilled exactly like the prophets wrote them. This is key for us believing that in the first coming, Jesus Christ was truly the Savior of the world, who would come to rule his people. But it's also key helping us to understand that all the prophecies about the second coming will be fulfilled in absolute detail as well. We will talk more about those prophecies yet to be fulfilled 
as it relates to the second coming. But may I suggest you go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, and we will study about what happened on that cold winter night over 2,000 years ago. It was a cold winter Christmas Eve some 2,000 years ago. There in the shepherd's fields in Bethlehem, just outside the city of Jerusalem, the shepherds were watching over their sheep. Now, these were priestly shepherds. You might remember in a previous study, we talked about the fact that these were not young shepherd boys, but instead men qualified to be priests because they were watching over the lambs that would be offered in sacrifice at the temple about three miles away from the shepherd's fields. The month was December, according to what the text tells us there in Luke chapter 1. So it was in the month of December that Mary would bring forth the Christ child. And by the way, the 25th of December was selected by the early church in the 4th century. In fact, in Antioch, they preached on Christmas Day, December the 25th, 386 A.D., and that's where we get the tradition of the 25th. Now, we don't know for sure the 25th is correct, but indeed we do know the month of December was the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. The ancient Jewish prophets had pre-written history about the coming of the Messiah. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, in verses 6 and 7, we read this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Verse 7 of Isaiah 9, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so the prophets told us, Isaiah in particular there, looking to the birth of a son, Jesus Christ. In fact, that birth would be a miraculous birth. Isaiah also mentioned in chapter 7 and verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. God man. Over in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, as we think about all of the prophecies pertaining to the first coming of Jesus Christ, we find out that the Christ child, the Messiah, had to be born in a particular location. In Micah 5, 2 it says, But thou, Bethlehem Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler of Israel whose going forth hath been from old and from everlasting. Jesus Christ would be the eternal Son of God. He never had a beginning. He will not have an ending from eternity past through eternity future. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes to earth to take on the form of man so he could be the way that we would have access into the heavens, into the presence of his Father God. By the way, it says that he had to be born in Bethlehem, Euphrata. Now, that's quite interesting. Not Bethlehem, Zebulun. In the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, there were two Bethlehems in Israel. Bethlehem, Zebulun was about 25 miles south of the city of Nazareth, where Mary and Joseph lived. 
Now, it would have been much easier with Mary if she had been able simply to ride the donkey for that 25 miles. But instead, she had to ride it for 97 miles, coming from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem Euphrata, which is just south of the city of Jerusalem. Did you ever stop to think about the fact that if he had been born any other place other than Bethlehem Euphrata, he would not have been the Messiah. The Bible gives us absolute detail about the birth of Jesus Christ. And these facts and details surrounding the first coming of Jesus Christ, the Christmas story, had to be fulfilled in absolute detail as well. Uh, Let's go back just for a few moments to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is one of four chapters that deals with the birth of Jesus Christ. I go to verse 8 there in Luke chapter 2. And it tells us what was happening in the shepherd's fields on that night some 2,000 years ago, Christmas Eve on a very cold night there in the shepherd's fields. Verse 8 says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now notice what happens next. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, in Bethlehem, a Savior, which is called Christ the Lord. Now notice verse 12. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Why would that be a sign? Well, I tell you what, the shepherds, these priestly shepherds knew exactly what the sign meant, and they, with haste, verse 16 of Luke 2, with haste, they went to find Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Remember the sign, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. We mentioned in a previous study about a location called Migdal Adar. Genesis chapter 35. That's where Jacob, after burying his wife Rachel, when she gave birth and died in childbirth of Benjamin, he went to Migdal Adar, right there in the shepherd's fields, a two-story stone tower. Migdal meaning tower, Adar meaning the flock, the tower of the flock, where the shepherds looking over their sheep that would be destined to go to the temple to be sacrificed would watch from that top story of that stone tower, Migdal Adar, to make certain that nothing was happening with their sheep. You might remember in these same fields, 1 Samuel chapter 17, David, when he was a teenage boy watching over his father's sheep in the shepherd's field, killed a bear and a lion who were coming to take some of the sheep. Well, these sheep were special sheep, destined for the temple and to be sacrificed there. However, there is another use for Migdal Adar. In the bottom floor of this two-story stone tower, these priestly shepherds would birth the newborn lambs. That's right, they would very carefully take this newborn lamb from the womb of its mother and then gently reach back and grab some swaddling clothes and wrap this newborn lamb in swaddling and then lay this newborn lamb up in a manger until it calmed down. Remember, these sheep were destined for the sacrificial activities at the temple. And should they be marred in any way, hitting their limbs with something that would mar them, they would not be perfect without blemish and without spot. And so this newborn lamb laying there wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger would calm down. And then the priestly shepherd would unravel 
of the swaddling and let the lamb run off to its mother for a meal. Well, that's exactly what happened with the birth of Jesus Christ. These priestly shepherds that knew the word of God knew the book of Micah chapter 4 and verse 8, where it says the announcement of the Messiah, the one who would come to be king in Jerusalem, would be born in that location. Luke chapter 2 tells us that these priestly shepherds, when told, this will be a sign unto you, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. They with haste went to the location, Migdal Adar, and there found the newborn lamb, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. What's so amazing to me is that all the prophecies in God's word that relate to the birth of Jesus Christ were fulfilled in absolute detail. That's the test that was given. Remember, God told Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 18, if someone is speaking for me, the prophet will give you the details and they will be fulfilled in absolute detail. That's exactly what happened with the birth of Jesus Christ. Over 360 different prophecies and all fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, we looked at Micah to find out the exact location. Bethlehem Euphrates, chapter 5 and verse 2. Migdal Adar, the tower of the flock, chapter 4 and verse 8. Micah was absolutely perfect on the Christmas story, on the first coming of Jesus Christ. If you have some time later, read the rest of Micah chapter 4. In verses 1 to 17, you'll find out that the Jews will return to the land of Israel in the last days that there will be peace. All of the world will lay down their military hardware and pick up farming utensils instead, living in a world of peace. Micah 4 also talks about an alignment of nations that will gather to try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. And in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it talks about a temple that will be built in the city of Jerusalem from which Jesus the Messiah will teach the world, and that's in the kingdom to come. But speaking of the temple, the Bible also talks about a temple in the tribulation period. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9 and verse 27, there will be a temple where the abomination of desolation will take place. Jesus Christ himself confirmed that in Matthew 24, 15, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, Paul says that the Antichrist walks into the Holy of Holies and claims to be the Messiah. And that would be the abomination of desolation. And Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, John the Revelator is told to measure the spot for the temple. What I'm talking to you about is every single prophetic detail was fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. I have just given you a couple of the prophecies that pertain to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But what's so exciting to me at this Christmas time when we celebrate the first coming, the birth of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, we can go forward with the assurance that all additional prophecies pertaining to his second coming will be fulfilled in absolute detail as well. That helps us to understand the authority of God's word, both in his first coming and in his second coming, which could be fulfilled in the very near future. Bible prophecy does indeed give us the assurance that God's word is the word of God. Those prophets, according to the test, Deuteronomy chapter 18, would give a prophecy, and if they were truly speaking for God, each one of those prophecies would be fulfilled exactly like the prophet wrote. 
Well, for these last couple of weeks, we've studied the facts and the details, the prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ. And as we've looked at the scriptures, we have become very aware of the fact that all of the prophecies were fulfilled exactly like the prophets said they would be. That gives us the assurance, of course, as I've already mentioned, that we can believe all the prophecies pertaining to the second coming of Jesus Christ will be fulfilled as well. My suggestion would be study not only the prophecies pertaining to the first coming, but look at those prophecies pertaining to the second coming and come to the realization of where we are in God's time for that next appearance of Jesus Christ here on the earth. Thanks, Dad. Folks, this is Jimmy D. Young Jr., and let me just take this opportunity to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I'd also like to thank this radio station for providing the time for this prophecy program to be on the air. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. World leaders meeting in Paris pledged over a billion dollars to help Ukrainians survive the winter. Fighting has devastated houses and infrastructure. Pastor Dima, a partner with the Slava Gospel Association, recently visited the Kherson region with food and warm blankets. Eric Mock says as they distribute aid through local churches, people are showing interest in the story of Jesus. So pray that many would be drawn to his love. And as you gather with family and friends for Christmas this year, think about Haiti. On Christmas Day, For Haiti with Love brings about 500 kids together for a party. Because of the poverty levels, most of the kids they invite wouldn't normally celebrate Christmas, so it doesn't interfere with family celebrations. For Haiti with Love feeds everyone. They also take the opportunity to talk about the birth of Jesus. Pray many of these kids will experience God's love through the celebration. And find your place in the story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. On today's program, we focus more on Christmas traditions, the things that our broadcast partners do not only as they talk about geopolitical issues or the issues in Israel or the body of Christ in Israel. We even talked about the body of Christ in Europe. Today we focus on traditions, and they're not a bad thing. You know, a lot of times people look at them as bad things, but millions and millions of people over the years have used Christmas traditions to help tell the 
Christmas story. And the traditions are still very important. I agree, Jimmy. And if you look at it, I mean, I don't know about your family situation, but I think the majority of family situations would be the the wife is much better. The mom is much better at creating those traditions. And that's certainly the way it is in our family. But it's been so important this week as we look at traditions, it reminds us that this is a special time of the year. And even though those traditions sometimes for young children focus around presents and things like that, Mm -hmm. we can continually focus them back on what is the reason that we are celebrating. What is the focus of this Christmas? And that is the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no doubt that some of what we now refer to as Christmas traditions can be traced back in some form to pagan cultures and celebrations. The ringing of bells, for example, is generally thought to have had its origin in the early pagan winter celebration of ringing of bells to drive out evil spirits. In later century, bells were rung on Christmas Eve to welcome in the spirit of Christmas with joyful noise. That's Psalm 95.1. You know, I know a song that you and I grew up on entitled Ring the Bells. When Christians enjoy the beauty of a glorious bell choir ringing Christmas carols, we are reminded of the coming of Jesus into the world, not the driving out of evil spirits. I agree. And I think sometimes that's the way Satan works. He takes some of these deals, some of these traditions and tries to pervert them. But we know why we are celebrating and we must continually keep our focus on scripture and we must continually keep our focus on why we are celebrating Christmas. And again, as we've talked about many times, it's the most important event in all of history. What all of the Old Testament pointed towards, and what all of the New Testament pointed back towards was the arrival of Jesus Christ on the earth for his mission, the eventual death, burial, and resurrection of the Savior for our sins. You know, you're exactly right, Rick. The 300-plus prophecies pertaining to Christ's first coming gives us the confidence to know that those 700-plus prophecies pertaining to his second coming are going to come true. And I think that is so very important. I loved what Minnow said when he was talking about Hanukkah. And we've talked about Hanukkah all this whole month, but he's talking about Jesus Christ being in the temple. Why did he go to the temple at the Feast of Dedication, at the Festival of Lights? Well, I love it. You know, there's an early pagan tradition of lighting candles to drive away the forces of cold and darkness. However, Is it likely that our hearts are drawn to those early pagans rather than rejoicing in our Savior, the light of the world, as we light candles? Of course not. Nor is it likely that when I give gifts to my loved ones at Christmas, the gifts will have less significance to either of us because some druid somewhere in time offered a gift to his goat as part of some pagan ritual. No, We remember, as we should, the gifts given to the Christ child by the Magi. I love what R.C. Merle talked about and those gifts that the Magi did bring to that baby because of the tradition of Daniel passing it down to those men that were given to him. And as he told about the coming of a Messiah, Jesus was the greatest gift ever given, and therefore his birth is worthy of celebration. That is correct, Jimmy. And one thing I like about what you just said, as we look at it, and one thing that Dad always said, 
Scripture gives us so much information, and specifics matter. And we've looked at this, Jimmy, and you and I have spent many a day out in Shepherd's Fields explaining to people why it's so important that the place matters, that the time matters. And we've talked about Christmas and the the Legacy Series, as Dad has taught it, and you and I have shared it as well. It talks about the time that it happened, the, where it happened. All those things are important. If they weren't important, God wouldn't have put them in the Word there, correct? You're exactly right, Rick. These words were put in the Scripture for a very important purpose. What is important is not the origin of traditions, but their significance to us today as believers in the Son of God. December 25th was not mentioned in the biblical narrative as the day Jesus was born. And as such, we cannot be dogmatic about it one way or the other. But even if the date is completely wrong, there is still the opportunity for thousands of people who wouldn't go to church any other time of the year to go on Christmas Day and to hear the gospel of Christ. I love what our friend Daniel Petkoski said in Montenegro. He uses this opportunity to share the gospel message, the true meaning of Christmas. If you are fully convinced that you cannot in good conscience observe a particular Christmas tradition, do not observe it. If you are fully convinced that a particular tradition is so steeped in paganism to honor God in any way, by all means, forsake that tradition. At the same time, if you are fully convinced that you can honor and worship God through a particular tradition, honor and worship God. That's Romans 14.5. For Christians, Christmas traditions can be an important part of the celebration of the birth of our Savior, and they remind us of that momentous event that changed the world forever. More importantly, they bring to mind the miracle of the new birth he created in each one of us when he came into our hearts, saved us from our sins, and made us children of God by the shedding of his blood on the cross. It is this amazing truth that enables us to say with the angels, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Rick, it's almost time. Christmas is almost here. You better get ready. I wish your family a happy Merry Christmas, along with mom and the rest of our family in Tennessee. I am in San Diego this week with my wife's family celebrating Christmas I look forward to the traditions that we have always been a part of. Likewise, Jimmy, and I agree with you. By all means, celebrate your traditions. Make this a special time of the year, but don't ever forget what we are celebrating, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas, everyone. And with all the information that you received today, hopefully this will help you to keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.